I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another fabulous day in the Lord's neighborhood and another episode of Coffee, the Bible, and Page. Here's my coffee. By the way, I got some cocoa in it. Tastes pretty good. Cocoa is another one of those things that I'm grateful to God for. Coffee bean and cocoa. What an incredible combination. <sighs> well, today we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 5. God's going to be giving some instructions, and part of it's kind of odd. And I won't say I understand it. But what I do understand is that God said it. So we're going to look at it. I'm going to check it out. Here we go. Numbers chapter 5. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease or a discharge of any kind or who is ceremonially unclean by the way, am I the only one that has trouble with that word ceremonially? Mm. Ceremonially unclean because of a dead body. Send away male and female alike. Send them outside the camp so they will not defile their camp where I dwell among them. The Israelites did so. They sent them outside the camp. They did just as the Lord instructed Moses. The Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, any man or woman who wrongs another in many ways and so is unfaithful to the Lord is guilty and must confess the sin they have committed. All right. Whew. This is one of the most powerful things that I have uh, discovered in the Old Testament. The fact that God equates treating another human being wrongfully is equated to being unfaithful to him. You can see the importance of when Jesus said the most important commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As another preacher once said, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal his cow. Here, again, how we treat other people is a direct reflection on our true relationship to God. I had a discussion with a friend of mine last night and uh, he was talking about how he and his family have been woefully treated uh, by people in a certain church. And it grieves me when I hear stories like that. But how people treat other people is a window into their soul, is a window into how, what kind of relationship they have with God. They're being unfaithful to God if they treat other people wrongfully. So this is just, uh, it's one of the most powerful things I've ever read in the Old Testament so far. Any man or woman who wrongs another in any way 
and so, as a result, is unfaithful to the Lord, is guilty, and must confess the sin they've committed. They must make full restitution for the wrong they've done, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the person that they have wronged. But if that person has no close relative to whom restitution can be made for the wrong, the restitution belongs to the Lord and must be given to the priest along with the ram for, with which atonement is made for the wrongdoer. If there is nobody to make restitution to, that does not negate the sin. Restitution is therefore still required. All the sacred contributions the Israelites bring to a priest will belong to him. Sacred things belong to their owners, but what they give to the priest will belong to the priest. Now, here's a part that's puzzling to me. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, If a man's wife goes astray and is unfaithful to him so that another man has sexual relations with her, and this is hidden from her husband and her impurity is undetected, since there's no witness against her and she hasn't been caught in the act, and feelings of jealousy come over her husband and suspects his wife and she is impure, or if he's jealous and suspects her even though she's not impure, then he is to take his wife to the priest. He must also take an offering of a tenth of an ephah, a barley flour on her behalf. He must not pour olive oil on it or put incense on it because it's a grain offering for jealousy, a reminder offering to draw attention to wrongdoing. The priest shall bring her and have her stand before the Lord. Then he shall take some holy water in a clay jar and put some dust from the tabernacle floor into the water. After the priest has had the woman stand before the Lord, he shall loosen her hair and place in her hands the reminder offering, the grain offering for jealousy, while he himself holds the bitter water that brings a curse. Then the priest shall put the woman under oath and say to her, if no other man has had sexual relations with you and you have not gone astray and become impure while married to your husband, may this bitter water that brings a curse not harm you. But if you've gone astray while married to your husband and you have made yourself impure by having sexual relations with a man other than your husband, here the, woman, the priest is to put the woman under the, this curse, may the Lord cause you to become a curse among your people when he makes your womb miscarry and your abdomen swell. May his water, may this water that brings a curse enter your body so that your abdomen swells or your womb miscarries. Then the woman is to say, Amen. So be it. The priest is to write these curses on a scroll and then wash them off into the bitter water. He shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings a curse and this water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering will enter her. The priest is to take from her hands the grain offering for jealousy, wave it before the Lord and bring it to the altar. The priest is then to take a handful of the grain offering as a memorial offering and burn it on the altar. After that, he is to have the woman drink the water. If she has made herself impure but unfaithful to her husband, this will be the result. When she's made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes bitter suffering, it will enter her. Her abdomen will swell, her womb will miscarry, and she will become a curse. If, however... The woman has not made herself impure, but is clean. She will be cleared of guilt and will be able to have children. This then is the law of jealousy when a woman goes astray and makes herself impure while married to her husband, or when feelings of jealousy come over a man because he suspects his wife. The priest is to have her stand before the Lord and is to apply this entire law to her. The husband will be innocent of any wrongdoing, 
but the woman will bear the consequences of her sin. Wow. Whenever I come across something that I don't understand concerning God, like why he does this thing or why he does that thing, I remember what an old pastor told me once. When you don't know what he is doing or why he's doing what he's doing, trust his character. We know God is just. We know God is, that God loves us. We know that God is pure and doesn't make wrong decisions. <coughs> Excuse me. He's faithful. He's just. Well, this is one of those instances where I don't understand the process of what's going on here. There's bitter water, sand from the, you know, from the floor of the tabernacle, etc. But putting myself in Israel's shoes, think about what they have seen this last year, year and a half. They saw God rained down signs and wonders and plagues on Egypt. They saw God manhandle Egypt's gods with no problems. They saw miracles. They saw frogs, flies, darkness, hailstorms, um, water turning to blood. Um, all these things. They saw the pa they lived through the Passover, where the firstborn of everybody was killed who did not have the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. And then they saw the glory of God in a cloud guide them out of Egypt, guide them to the edge of the Red Sea. And then when the mightiest army in the face of the planet was bearing down on them, basically a mob of people, there wasn't even a trained army here yet. When, the, when this this army was coming down on them. God stood between the army and Israel and told Israel basically, wait and watch. They saw Moses raise his staff. They saw the Red Sea part. They saw dry ground that they could walk on and they walked on it and they crossed over the Red Sea. They get to the other side, they look back and they watched the sea crash down on Pharaoh's army, destroying it leaving them totally and completely free for the first time in over 400 years. They've seen God do powerful things. They saw uh, and heard the majesty of God at Mount Sinai. Um, they saw, they've seen time after time after time, the power of God. So, and the tabernacle is where God is residing now, right? Well, this same people have seen God do all these things this last year would not find this hard to believe. If this is what God said a priest is supposed to do to discern whether a woman is unfaithful or not, then this is what God said. He brings, the woman is brought before the presence of God. Now, I don't know up here. I don't believe it's in the tabernacle itself. It doesn't bring her into the tabernacle because there's so many commands about how only priests can go in there. Um, let's see what up here says. Uh, Okay, not been caught in the act. Feelings. Da, 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 da. Then he is to take his wife, the priest. He brings an offering. 
the priest brings her and have her stand before the Lord. I don't believe that she's in the holy place. But he's she's at least going to be, because a non-priest can't go past the brazen altar. But that represents the place where God meets his people. So she's standing there before the brazen altar, I would think, standing before the Lord, the same Lord who destroyed Egypt, the same Lord that she saw with her own eyes uh, do all these signs, wonders, and miracles. And she is to drink this water that has this sand from the floor of the tabernacle on it. And God, that she's standing before, says, if you've been unfaithful, this will make you miscarry if you're pregnant. This will um, this will make you unable to bear a child and your sin will be evident to all. Your belly will swell. So even though I don't understand what the point is of drinking this water with the sand in it, I do know this, this is what God commanded. And it seems an awful harsh punishment on the woman, right? Uh, my One of my questions is, what about the man she was unfaithful with, if indeed she was unfaithful. I'm going to leave that question for another day. But God treats the marriage covenant very, very seriously. So seriously, in the fact that the, the Ten Commandments is like a marriage covenant. He says, I'm the Lord your God. You will have no other God before me. Literally, you will bring no other God with you when you come before me. God won't share his glory with anybody else. And it's like a man telling a woman, if we are married and we have a relationship, you and I, you will have no other man in the same room with me. And the woman saying the same thing to the husband. If we're married and we have a relationship, you and I, you will have no other woman in the same room with me. There will be no other woman to come between you and I. There will be another man to come between you and I. The marriage covenant is a sacred thing. Sacred. And it would make sense that God's treatment of someone being unfaithful to that covenant would be harsh. This is harsh. So... You know, my son told me one time, uh, we were, when my firstborn grandson, my son and I were giving him a bath, little little baby. My son looked up at me while he was washing his son. He says, Dad, I want to thank you for not leaving mom and us, for not leaving the marriage. Now, he was referring to a period of time where my wife and I were having some very serious marriage issues. Uh, there wasn't infidelity involved, nothing like that, but we were having real problems. And he says, I want to thank you for not leaving. He says, I've been studying the Bible and God uses the marriage of, between a man and a woman as an example of the relationship between God and the church. So when the man leaves, that's, that's a picture of God walking away from the church. I'd be like, and he says, and that, that's why divorce is hated by God because it gives a not correct picture of the relationship between God and the church. God will never walk away from the church. And when a marriage is fractured, when somebody breaks up the marriage, 
especially if it's through unfaithfulness, infidelity. It's like a person walking out of the church to follow another God. God takes it very seriously. So in this instance, a woman has been accused of infidelity by her husband. He's not sure. So he brings her to the priest who makes her stand before God to administer this test. Now, this is the test God told him to give. And I don't, I don't think there's any uh, account of a woman passing or failing this. There's a story about that. But this is the process that God would have the priest go through. And God takes the marriage very seriously. And if the woman is unfaithful, there is a price to pay. There are wages to pay in the, in the case of sin, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. That's what Romans says. And if a woman has sinned in this way, if she was unfaithful, the priest, God, is telling her death is required. In this case, it will be the death of your womb. You will have no children. So this was a very serious, serious thing. Now, from the practical point, if she is innocent and her belly doesn't swell and she doesn't miscarry, if she is proven innocent by the priest and the man takes her home, I imagine there's going to be some discussions had. You know, if she's truly innocent, there are some things that have to be worked out. And, you know, so even though I don't understand this process of discerning whether a woman's been unfaithful or not, I do understand enough about the character of God to know that he detests infidelity. The relationship between a man and his wife is a picture of the relationship between God and the church. And unfaithfulness is the ultimate act of disobedience against God. It's turning your back on God and deciding to go follow another God? Really? That's it. That's the most heinous sin of all in my mind. So, um, be faithful, folks, and take a lesson from this. God values our marriage covenant. It is of great value to him. All right, well, that's enough for today. Uh, Monday coming up will be Numbers chapter 6, and we'll see what else God has in store for us. Have a great day. This is Paige. Here's my coffee, and folks, I'm out of here. Have a great day. Bye-bye. 